Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and we are so thankful that you are the God who holds the world in your hands and you're also the God who allowed your hands to be pierced for each and every one of us. We thank you that your son was willing to be suspended upon the cross and to know the full depth and weight of our sin and our offense against you so that we could experience now his outstretched arms to welcome us back, to make us safe and secure forever in your presence. And as we've been reminded of that in song, we pray again that as we open your word that you would remind us of just how great and good you are, how prepared and and ready and eager you are uh, to, to have us come to you to bring our requests to you, to ask you for help and assistance and grace so that we would not try to do anything in our own strength, but in the grace that you give us and the strength that you supply with the mercy that you have in such abundance. Fathers, you look down upon us. You know the various needs in our hearts. You know the recent diagnoses in our families that have surprised us and and puzzle us and grieve us. You know the loved ones who are hurting. Um, You know those who have now gone to be with you and who we miss. And Father, we, we thank you that you can look down upon us and see all of those varied needs and requests and that you're not overwhelmed by any of them. And we thank you for the good gifts that you've given and the joys that we've had that we celebrate and acknowledge and, and give you the glory and the honor for. And so we just thank you that you are so great, that you are our God. And we pray that through the reading of your word and our meditation upon it, you would just help us to continue to behold your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to take a Bible now and to open it to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. We are going through the whole Gospel of Matthew, considering what it says to us about prayer and what it means, therefore, to pray that God's kingdom would come and that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. But for the last few weeks, we have been in what is a longer message, the longest recorded message that we have of Jesus' teaching called the Sermon on the Mount and looking at what is mentioned about prayer, specifically in this sermon that Jesus gave to his followers. It's where he gave the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that we repeat regularly in asking for God's kingdom to come. But when we look at the whole message, we see what, how he fills in the details of what that would look like for each and every one of us. And so now we come to chapter 7. We'll read the first 14 verses for our time this morning. So this is Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take out the the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. 
Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. Our focus as it relates to prayer is, would be verses 7 through 11, where Jesus says that we should come and ask, and that it'll be given to us, that we should seek, and we will find, that we should knock, and the door will be opened. And that might be scripture that you're familiar with. It would be easy to put that up on a nice, beautiful um, image and a plaque, uh, either on a desk or on a wall, as a good reminder. But that verse, all by itself, uh, could also lead to danger for us if we try to fill in the details on our own of what that might mean. So if we only read verses 7 and 8, where he says, Ask, and you will receive, and seek, and you will find, and knock, And then we think, oh, I can just ask for anything. I mean, isn't that amazing? I can ask for hair. I can ask for lots of money. I can ask for all kinds of things. And Jesus said, no, 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 you did not listen very well um, to everything else I said around that. Um, One of my favorite Bible teachers put it this way when he was explaining the importance of context. Uh, He said, you know, uh, I think he was describing between he and his wife that if you simply say to your you know, if you go to the store and you ha- you're given a list of things to buy, and so your wife says, you know, make sure you pick up these three things, and then you write back and say, I got everything from the store. Well, in context, in that conversation between those two people, it's understood that everything means the things that she asked you to pick up from the store. Reading it without that context, you might imagine the store is empty. If you got everything from the store, there's nothing left in the store. And here, when we come to Jesus saying, ask, and it will be given to you, knock, uh, and the door will be open, seek, and you will find, <clears throat> we, we do well to consider what has he been talking about this whole time? And what are the kinds of things that we're supposed to ask for? That Then we should have confidence that if we ask for it, he will give it to us. And I submit to you, reading through this whole sermon or for his first audience listening to it, it would have been clear that anybody listening to it, when he said that we have to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, that we need to be holy because our Father is holy, that we need to take seriously lust in our hearts and anger in our hearts and uh, broken relationships between other people, if we're listening all along the way, at various points, we'd be stopping and raising our hand and asking for help. We would be asking for help. No one can listen to Jesus preach this sermon and think, oh, man, I'm so glad you said all this. I got this. Now I can do it. Now I know what you want from me, and I can just go make it happen. 
you haven't listened all the way through to what he said. If you listening to it think you have within yourself the power and the ability to do what he's asking you to do. We're supposed to listen to it and be convicted by it and say, I can't do this on my own. I need to ask for help. And that's usually what we associate with people asking things when they come for us. It's almost synonymous when we think of the word ask that somebody is wanting something from us. And that's the gift of prayer. We come to God in prayer because we believe there is someone else that we're addressing and someone else who has what we need. So we don't think that, you know, the purpose of prayer is sort of just similar to meditation where we have everything we need and what we just need to do is figure out how to calm our nerves, listen to our inner voice, and then somehow discover that within us the whole time has been everything that we need. That's not how Christians approach prayer. Meditation is a good thing. It's good to be still. But the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. When we do take the time to meditate on the scriptures, part of our meditation is that we acknowledge we need somebody else to help us. That there is a real God out there who cares about our real needs. We're not trying to find it within and we're not trying to build it with something safe or artificial. And saying that word makes me think of a recent phone call I was calling one of our financial institutions where we have uh, savings and they wanted to start this new uh, automated system where they would recognize my voice. And I just found it funny because I'm literally talking to a computer who's saying, I want to get to know your voice as if somehow there's a real relationship there. And so the thing said, you know, we want you to say this phrase three times and then we'll have your voice down. So I said it in three different accents at the end of which it said, we can't complete the voice recognition as intended, so they just sent me on through to where I wanted to go. But it was this, why are you trying to fake uh, this thing? And some of you will come up to me afterwards and tell me that was maybe not wise to do and you should do it. Uh, There's good reasons why it's established, but I just laughed at the, no, you're not a real thing and you don't care about what my voice is. But when we come to God, We are asking for help because we are addressing a real God. And he has what it is that we need. Just from verse 7 to 11, the word ask is repeated five times. That if we could, you know, put a a bold uh, mark on it or you could underline it or use a highlighter. I mean, he's just driving his point home. He says, ask, seek, and knock. But then he says, for whoever asks, and then if one of you has a son who asks for bread and, or asks for fish, and if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father to those who ask him? Five different times. The invitation of Jesus is that we would come to him for help. That we would start off by acknowledging We can't do it on our own. We need his grace to be able to do the very things that he is asking us to do. Well, what do we need his help doing? You could literally just start reading the Sermon in the Mount in reverse now. And say, verse 6, God, would you help me not to put precious and sacred things before, uh, to be careless with them, and to put them before people who won't honor them as precious and sacred verses 1 through 5. God, would you please help me not to judge others, 
in a way that is inconsistent, in a way that would make me a hypocrite? Would you help me see like the log that's in my own eye before I keep seeing the speck in other people's eyes? Jump back at the end of verse, uh, at the end of chapter six, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Jesus, will you help me not be anxious about tomorrow? Because I'm kind of anxious about tomorrow. <laughs> Take verses 25 to 33. Don't be anxious about clothing, food, shelter. This is what the Gentiles worry about. Trust your heavenly father to provide them all. I mean, you hear Jesus say that and you're like, it's, it doesn't feel like a switch that I can just turn on and off and say, okay, I'm not worried anymore. I'm not worried about how to provide for my family. I'm not worried about the clothing and the shelter. And well, so how do we do it? How do we obey what he is saying? Well, that's eventually when we pick up on that reality that he is saying these things to us because we need them and they're right for us. But he's also, while he's saying it to us, inviting us to ask him for help to do all those things. You keep going backwards. God, help us to serve God and not money. Help us to lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth. Help us to not let anger get out of control in our lives. Help us to not let lust or sexual sin get out of control in our lives. God, help us. Help us do all of these things that you've been instructing. Because we believe what you're saying. We believe you are who you are. And we need your help to do the things that you're asking us to do. So we need to ask for help and be okay asking for help. Next, we need to seek the narrow gate. I read a little bit past uh, verse 11 up until verse 14 to, um, to fill in why I think this is an appropriate way of summarizing what Jesus is getting after when he says that not only we're supposed to ask, but we're supposed to seek. And he goes on to say, there's a wide way and an easy way that leads to destruction. And so if you're just going to go about your day, your natural tendency is going to be to go that way. If you're going to find the narrow way, the narrow gate, it's going to be purposeful in as much as you choose it. And Jesus has been emphasizing that all along. If we just respond to people in anger because they were angry at us, like, that's a natural response. That's the wide and easy way. Everybody will understand. But if you're taking seriously his command to his followers to not respond anger for anger, but to respond with love, you're trying, you're pursuing and seeking something that is really hard to do, that is unnatural to do. And you have to desire it. You have to seek it. It's not just going to be the first thought that comes into your mind or mine when it comes to handling things. If somebody takes one jacket from you, give them another one. The easy and the wide way is going to be like, give me my jacket back. What are you doing taking my jacket? The, the way of the narrow gate is going to say, did you only want one when you took that? Because I've got another one I could give you. There, there's a a hardness to that. And Jesus is acknowledging that. But if we believe that though it's hard, it's still good for us, then we will actively seek to still pursue that. And so that's part of our prayer, asking God for help to do everything he says. 
and that, that that request would come from inside of our hearts that we would seek his kingdom to come and that we would seek his kingdom to come as it says earlier that uh, we would desire to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and then trust that all the other things will be added to us that if we keep looking for the narrow gate he's going to show us once we enter through it it opens up into grace unmeasurable into wide plains and beautiful valleys that he has everything we need but he wants us to come in a specific way to him and seek it on his terms and so we ask for help and we seek the narrow gate and then when he says to knock he says knock and the door will be opened so knock on the closed door ask for help seek the narrow gate and knock on the closed door it's, it's an image that I think is helpful to have in our mind we encounter doors all the time and when they're closed we might already say why well, she shouldn't even knock uh, with young kids in our home what we have to say is because that isn't a barrier in their mind a, a closed door doesn't mean much so we do have to tell them no, no, just knock on the door before you open it, please. It would be better for you and whoever's behind that door if you knock on the door before you go into it. But in our adult life, we might more see the closed door and already now make a bunch of assumptions and not even go forward and knock and see if it could be opened. And so Jesus is saying, there's closed doors all around you, but don't stop knocking. If you knock, the door will be open. And here again, where I find it helpful, and one of the reasons to read the Bible regularly and to know as much of it as you possibly can, is because not only does the whole sermon uh, help you fulfill and understand what Jesus might be saying from the Sermon on the Mount to this specific verse, but when you think of the closed doors that so many people in the Bible would have faced, and if you could hear them sort of talking to you and me now, what great encouragements they would give to you and me in prayer. Abraham and Sarah, the door was closed that they would ever have a child. Except that God told them to knock on the door and it'll be opened. For Naomi, the door was closed when her husband and her sons die, that she would have a future or that she would have a hope, except that the God of heaven said, knock and believe that the door could be opened. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were being sent to a fiery furnace it seemed like their fate was secure, except that a fourth appeared in the fire, one like a son of God. And the door was open. The fire did not consume them. Jeremiah saw his people go into rebellion. It would have been the worst possible time to purchase land in Israel, it was worthless except that God said to him, knock and trust me 
to open the door. Zachariah and Elizabeth thought the door was closed, except that God told them that John the Baptist would be born. Mary and Martha came to Jesus and said, you're too late, Jesus. He's already dead. He's already in the tomb. Except that God said, the door can open. All of the followers of Jesus saw himself go into the tomb and thought it was all over. What new thing could happen? What possible future could there be? And when some of those disciples came, they found the tomb opened. Paul and Silas were behind a locked door in prison for their faith. They were suffering, being told they cannot continue to proclaim the gospel. And they went on singing praises to God. And the earth shook and the prison doors opened. This is who we are praying to. The very God who consistently again and again can not only provide help in terms of the basic provisions of what we need, like food and forgiveness, not only can he help us show when we're seeking where the narrow gate is, but also when all hope seems lost and the door is closed or the grave is sealed and we discover that's not the end of the story for him. That is not the limitation of his power of his grace. We can keep on coming to him. We can keep on knocking. And I don't know what the circumstances are for you in your life, but there are so many times where we can just assume, well, because so-and-so said such-and-such, we can't ever talk again. Or because this one bad thing happened, it's just over. There's, There's nothing here. There's no future. And there might not be, depending on the situation. Lazarus was a unique story. (laughs) Most people didn't have Jesus come and bring him right out of the grave. But Jesus is teaching us to keep on coming to him, and even though we might not be able to make something happen, to trust and believe that there is nothing that can ultimately limit him or stop him. He can create new things, just like he made the world He's remaking the world. He can create new opportunities. And so there are some things that even in the best of our prayers, we might be praying for, but we have no idea that God is about to do something totally new that's just not even our radar that we never would have even have known to be praying for it. Because he's, not only is he real, but he's alive and he's doing new things all the time. And we should be wide open to all the new things that God might do in your life and mine, in our relationships, in our community. He wants us to ask for help. He wants us to seek the narrow gate and he wants us to keep on knocking on whatever closed doors we encounter and then joyfully celebrate when he opens them up. And all of this we're supposed to do on the authority of Jesus. You get to the end of this sermon and as I said, as you're listening to it, along the way you're saying, I need help. (laughs) I can't do any of this without his help. But this, we also hear what the crowds 
responded initially. If your Bible's still open, or if not, you can open it at the end of Matthew chapter 7. Everybody's astonished by what he says in verses 28 and 29. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And so everything he is saying, he is saying on the basis of his authority for us to do. Not our authority, not just our will or our preferences, but in his name, in his authority. And so we're supposed to, in that, not only see his power, but he has the authority because of the relationship that he has with his father. And so we think not just his authority, but that authority comes from his proximity. He can say all of these things because he knows them better than anyone else. And, and we need those, we need to believe those two things as well, that he has the ability to do it, but he also has the desire to do it. He knows the Father's heart. And so if he's saying that we should come in this way, that we should ourselves call him Father, that he's a Father who knows how to give good gifts, that we should believe him, take him at his word, and enjoy the simple access that that gives us. Last weekend uh, was Amy's birthday, and uh, Amy often makes cakes for the kids that are unique to something that year that they like, and now they look forward to it, and they almost all year are thinking ahead of time about what the new cake might be uh, that they'll get to ask mommy to make. So one of the challenges then is none of us are good at making cakes and can do that in the same way uh, to reciprocate the love uh, that is expressed in that way. But I have realized there's something about having kids make cards that uh, one is, is just fun to see their own creativity and their own words and what they might come up with when they make something and draw it and express their love. So there was a couple times the week before that I kept reminding the boys, you know, it's mommy's birthday in a couple of days. Are you thinking about a card? Are you working on a card, drawing something? And then I came home the day before, which we were going to celebrate with her mom the evening before her birthday, and there were three cards. They were beautifully decorated. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that they'd really actually been working on them. That's really cool. And I didn't have a chance to like look at them in detail, but I just saw from far, like, Wow, it looks like they put a lot of effort into it. And then as I got closer, I saw on the front of each of them, happy birthday, Mrs. N. And I just like, did they address their mom as Mrs. N on their... And then I opened it up and realized these were from the neighbor kids. Okay, these weren't from our kids who all of a sudden just decided to not refer and recognize the uniqueness of being able to say mom or mommy or uh, what it was, but we'd been playing outside the day before, our kids with the neighbor kids, and they said, can we play again tomorrow? And I said, well, we're going to be a little bit busy tomorrow because of this. Well, they went home and made these adorable cute cards and, and shared them to, to Mrs. N, and they were, they were wonderful. But I was also relieved when I realized, wait, don't accidentally insult your mom by communicating a distance that isn't there. Like, you, you show your love and your honor by enjoying what is the intimacy and the proximity that you have.
And so when in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says the Holy Spirit's in our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can come to him in the authority of Jesus and we can talk to the Father as if we're Jesus talking to the Father. There's like that level in his name of access, authority, intimacy, and proximity. We only get it because he offers it to us as a gift. We, we can't earn that. But he's doing everything he can to communicate to us that he's freely giving it to us. And so that our prayers should reflect that level of awareness. That it can be just that simple. When we understand who he is and all that he wants for us, we can ask for help we can seek the narrow gate that he offers us. And we can keep on knocking on closed doors and believe he's going to open them in ways that only he can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its power and its simplicity. We thank you that we can gather in 2024 and hear from the teaching of your, your son and our savior and it still carry all the same uh, weight and beauty and power that it can still convict and challenge our hearts just like it did the first disciples who heard it. That because we know our sin and we know our limitations, we struggle to believe that you are ready and eager and willing to help that you want us to draw close to you. And so, Father, we pray that you would give our hearts the assurance that they need that we can come to you with freedom, with joy. We can even make mistakes. We can scribble our, our, our worst drawings to you that uh, there is nothing that we can't bring before you that you aren't ready to receive from us. And we thank you that in your grace, you're willing to grow us up. You're willing to make us better. You can take the things we bring you and you can transform them and purify them and multiply them in ways that we would never expect. But Father, we, we want the kind of relationship with you that would cause the world to sense that level of access and proximity that we have that because of you we cannot be anxious about tomorrow, that because of you we cannot live in constant fear of scarcity, but we can live in the abundance of your kingdom, confident that you will do everything that we need and that you will give us uh, every grace that we need to endure the challenges that this life brings. We thank you that you are a good father. And we pray that you would help us to continue to walk through the narrow gate. In your name we pray, amen.